Listener Production. A quick disclaimer before we get started. Although I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. All the content and information discussed in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Remember, always consult your doctor before making any decisions about your health. The vagina is one of, if not the, most important reproductive organs in the female body. It's also the most popular place for pleasure, a stress reliever, the passageway of life. So it's important to keep it healthy. Lucky for us, it does a pretty good job of doing that all on its own. Think of the vagina like a city. 95% of Vaginae City is a bacteria called Lactobacillus, and these residents are good, nay, great at their job. They produce lactic acid, which if you've ever played sport before or gone a bit too hard in Zumba, you've probably heard of. Not only does it make our muscles sore, in Vaginae City, it acts as an antimicrobial compound that keeps the streets clean, the smell fresh and the thugs at bay. It's an important job because, like in any city, disruptions can cause problems. Big problems. For instance, imagine a scenario where antibiotics sweep through the streets like Godzilla, smashing buildings with the force of a giant wrecking ball. Run! It's Godzilla! With the lactobacillus dead and gone, the thugs, well, they come out to play. Who are these thugs and where did they come from? Well, they're anaerobic microbes, the warlords of the vagina. You see... These guys don't need oxygen to survive, so they hide in the depths of the vagina, waiting, waiting for the perfect moment to multiply and... Release the kraken! Jeez, it's not that dramatic. It's just bacterial vaginosis. 35% of people with a vagina will get bacterial vaginosis or BV, and it's highly treatable. Funnily enough, a targeted course of antibiotics clears it up swiftly and our friends, the lactobacilli, take control again. But BV isn't the only plan being hatched by our anaerobic anti-heroes. Ever the opportunist, Candida albicans, a bacteria that lives all over our bodies, will also try its hand to overrun the city given the chance, unleashing an overgrowth of yeast, a.k.a. thrush, that is quite frankly... Really bloody annoying and itchy. So who will be our saviour? Will feminine hygiene wash fix the problem? And when things aren't right down there, how do you know it's not an STI? Hi, I'm Dr. Sneh Wadwani, women's health GP and advocate, and this is Everything from A to V, the podcast separating the fact from the fiction when it comes to women's health. Here, we'll answer some of the most common questions I get asked by women just like you, and we'll debunk a few myths along the way too. But we were discussing matters of the vagina, Bruce, not the heart. In today's episode, we'll be joined by Dr. Roz Foster, a sexual health physician whose 20 years of experience in the field make her a bit of an expert on Vaginae City. She's here to debunk some of the most common myths around the best care for down there and to tell us what else could be going on when it's not an STI. 
Hi, Roz. It's great to have you here on the podcast. And tell us a bit about yourself. Hi, so I am a sexual health physician and I work in a publicly funded sexual health clinic here in, in Sydney. And I've been working in the field for, I don't know, 20 years or something now. So a fair while. It can be really common for women to assume if anything goes wrong down there, you know, if the odour changes or the discharge changes, anything like that, they automatically will assume that it's an STI, but it doesn't necessarily need to be the case, does it? No, it's true. And and yes, that is often the the assumption. I think probably the majority overall of, of most STIs, you don't get symptoms, but you do get symptoms with lots of other conditions with the vagina. So you can get infections that aren't STI, so that you can get an overgrowth of yeast, which we call thrush. I was actually trying to work out the other day why we call it thrush. Do you know? I don't. Go on, tell me. <laughs> well, the, the explanation I found, which is what I was thinking it probably was, is because it looks like the front of the thrush bird. You know, like the thrush do bird has kind of... thrush birds in Australia? I I'm don't not sure think that we, we do. do. But it's... we have them in Blighty, don't we? We have do. them in the UK. And it's, like a, it's a bird that has kind of white spots on it. So ah. we all call it thrush. The other name for it is um, candida or, yeah, sort of yeast overgrowth. So you can get that happening. Your your vaginal discharge changes with menstrual cycle as well. You can get a bacterial imbalance that quite a lot of people have heard of called bacterial vaginosis, which typically, like you say, gives you that fishy smell and an increased discharge. There's other things as well. You can get atrophic vaginitis, which can happen in the sort of peri or post-menopause where your estrogen levels are dropping. We see it sometimes in transgender men or non-binary people taking testosterone. You get a sort of relative estrogen deficiency there as well. And also some people on the pill are really sensitive to hormone changes and can end up with atrophic changes in the vagina as well. And a few other, no one's ever heard of this, but aerobic vaginitis and something called cytolytic vaginitis, which are sort of inflammatory imbalances of the wrong sort of bacteria and different levels of not acidic enough and that sort of thing. So so there's quite a few different things that can be going on and it can be a little bit difficult to tease those things out sometimes. Yeah, and, and even things like our progesterone type contraceptives, right? So the IUDs like the Mirena, the Kylena and the contraceptive implant, even the progesterone-only pills, progesterone can really thicken and, and increase the amount of cervical discharge. So, so for some women, they can feel like, you know, they've had their IUD and suddenly they've got more discharge and, and think that, you know, either we've caused an infection or there's an infection of the IUD. And and that's just a physiological component of that contraceptive that's actually quite protective because it stops or it makes it harder for the sperm to swim through. So I think, like you say, there's loads of causes. But let's talk about the vagina. Um, I think it's not widely understood or broadly understood well enough It is actually a little ecosystem of its own, isn't it? Right levels of bacteria, yeast, all sorts of things. You know, I often see women who are obsessed with cleaning it, but but actually it's it's really delicate little balance of a bacteria and and yeast family (laughs) that shouldn't be disrupted. It is. You know, it's amazing. It's um I think people know quite a lot about the gut microbiome. That gets talked about quite a lot and and it's quite different to the vaginal microbiome so that with the gut microbiome you want to have loads of different sort of species of bacteria and everything all kind of like real diversity and with the vaginal microbiome you actually want there to be just really one predominant microorganism which is a bacteria called lactobacillus or lactobacilli for the for the plural which is like really really different to to the gut 
The lactobacilli, they're, they're bacteria that produce this acid called lactic acid. So they sort of metabolize sugars and things that are in the, in the vagina and produce acid that keeps all the other bacteria and other um, microorganisms in, in check. It just works really well. So it's, it's lined, the vagina is lined by lots of skin cells and the skin cells in the cervix produce this sort of stretchy, viscous, mucusy-like substance called um, vaginal fluid that also contains all these lovely antimicrobial sort of molecules and antibodies that keep everything really healthy. So yeah, if we just leave the vagina to do its thing, then it just does its thing. It doesn't need cleaning. It just sorts itself out. And something um, I've seen going around on social media is that you know, leggings, yoga tights, activewear, all our lycra is not good for down there. Is that true? Well, yeah, so activewear. Um, <laughs> it, was, it used to be, I'm sure, in our guidelines back in the day that one of the things that you could do to minimise your risk of recurrence of, of thrush or to sort of optimise treatment would be to wear sort of loose Cotton. Clothing, cotton, undies. no synthetic undies, <laughs> yeah. that sort of thing. Granny knickers. Um, and it's still in some of the patient information sheets that we give out. But I've noticed that in the more up-to-date sort of international guidelines, they don't mention those things. I, think, I don't think there's any good evidence one way or another. I think probably if you're someone who spends all your life in non-breathable active wear and you have recurrent thrush that you just can't get rid of, it might be worth maybe trying some looser fitting. I don't know what they'd be. Harem pants. Cotton. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Anyway. That sounds good. Sort Harem of, um, pants. I'm not sure I even know what they are, but sort of cotton things and see if that helped. But I think if you're someone who always wears active wear and you've never had thrush in your life, don't need to throw away the active wear. I, I think it's... If it ain't broken, don't fix it, I right? Don't, I don't think it's going to cause... So I thinking about it, if you're like really sweaty and you're wearing things that are non-breathable and you might get some kind of skin irritation or, or sort of chafing or something on the outside, but I don't think it's going to cause per se. So. Fantastic. So what about undies? You know, are we meant to sleep with undies on, undies off? Which is better? I don't, I think it matters just what you prefer, I think, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. Is there a debate on I, undies versus I think no there is undies? a debate, Roz, on social media. There is the Let It Breathe campaign. Hey, you know, there are grannies and mums, you know, from years ago that have brought their daughters up saying, you've got to let it breathe. I don't know that that's true. No, neither do I. I think it comes down to personal preference. <laughs> um, I don't mind whether someone wears undies in bed or not and I don't mind whether they wear undies under their active wear or not either so I'm going to leave that one open but I don't think it causes thrush No, absolutely and given that we are de demystifying and debunking stuff here can we talk about feminine washes? Yeah They're the bane of my job Yeah, and mine Yeah I hate them <laughs> Well, they're, I mean, they're just Soap. Cruel, aren't they? Because um, <laughs> they've been marketed to prevent the very thing that they cause. Yeah. So people think that they're using this thing that's really going to help with their symptoms or help with their feminine hygiene. And actually, they really sort of predispose to particularly things like, like BV. So you don't, actually don't need to wash with anything. I think, as, as we mentioned earlier, the vagina really has evolved to look after itself without us doing anything to it. You can wash on the outside, don't wash on the inside. It's really cultural. Some people are brought up to wash on the inside, some people aren't. You don't need to. You can just use water on the outside, to be honest. Soap even can be a little bit too strong. So soap substitutes if you want to use something to wash the sort of vulval area on the outside. The other tip just that people don't always think about is that you'll wash with quite sort of perfumed or strong products with your hair, shampoo, conditioners, sort of perfume things on your on your body. 
if you don't rinse properly after you've been using those, you can get an accumulation in the area around the vulva. And it can, some people are sensitive, some people aren't, but you can end up with quite a lot of irritation in the skin there. So just make sure you rinse off all the perfume things you're using in the shower. Let's talk about bacterial vaginosis or BV. Um, you said it's, you know, it's an imbalance in the bacteria in the vagina. What causes this? And, and I guess, you know, what's, what's the predominant bacteria that's playing up here? Yeah, so it's an imbalance where other bacteria that are sort of normally there in low levels suddenly become predominant. We, we call them anaerobic bacteria, which means that they sort of thrive without oxygen. So they're different to the, to the lactobacilli. What causes that is is fairly sort of multifactorial, to be honest. It can be if you've got low estrogen, similar to what we were just talking about just now, that could be sort of contraceptives or around time of the month with your period. When people are breastfeeding, it can sometimes cause that relative estrogen deficiency. Sex itself, so although you don't catch BV from a sexual partner, then having sex particularly without condoms where you've got the the semen and the ejaculate, that can just change things inside the vagina. And for some people who are a bit susceptible or if there's you know just something else going on or your estrogen's a bit low as well that can bring about some symptoms of BV. Smoking is associated with BV which is something to do with mainly sort of affecting the immunity and maybe some of the toxins. So it's it's complex. The main thing that can if not cause BV just make it worse and sort of get you onto this cycle of, of sort of worsening symptoms is where you're washing too much. So it's just I feel so sorry for people because they, they end up with symptoms where You've got this predominantly kind of increased fishy smelling discharge. And so you think, okay, I'll fix this by washing more. And that just makes it much worse. The predominant bacteria that often comes up on testing is something called Gardnerella vaginalis. But there's a whole long list of different bacteria that, that come up. And treatment can be varied, right, for this. Some doctors give oral antibiotics that you swallow and some give vaginal antibiotics. Is one better than the other? Not really, I don't think. I think they both do the same job. It's a little bit personal preference. Where I work, then we have the oral antibiotics for free. So people often go for for that because they're free. The vaginal ones can be a bit more expensive, but I don't think there's any sort of difference in terms of outcomes for the treatments. It, it, It can also just clear up spontaneously. So you can have it and then not treat it and it goes away. I guess if you stop washing, that might help. It does help. It does help. Um, but yeah, it's just yeah, it's a com- complicated one because people really don't want their symptoms. Yeah, when they've got absolutely, them, yeah. absolutely. And and it's not one of those that will cause damage if we leave it untreated, is it? I mean, it, it can cause, I guess, a bit of inflammation in the vaginal skin because it's irritative. But it's not going to cause anything more serious than that, is it? No. Well, there's a little bit of a but to that. So it's it's a it's BV stands for vaginosis rather than vaginitis. So it's not inherently an inflammatory condition. So it does cause these increased discharge. Some people do end up with a bit of irritation, just which is more physical irritation. So you've got that kind of discharge in the liquid and your underwear might be a bit wet and it just all feels a bit kind of uncomfortable and irritated, but it's not a sort of predominantly inflammatory process within the vagina. It has been found to be associated or it's found and associated in pelvic inflammatory disease and some adverse pregnancy outcomes like preterm delivery. But the causality has not been proven. So we don't have evidence that it causes those conditions, but it has been sort of associated with them as well. So in general, you know, it's not something we screen for in pregnancy because it's not thought to have a a causative effect. But if someone is diagnosed with BV in pregnancy, we'd recommend that they treat it. 
And so BV and thrush, they are two different things because commonly people may say to me, or they think they've got both, or they think, you know, symptoms of one are actually the other. It can be confusing for women, can't it? But they are two separate things. Yeah, they're completely separate things. So the, the BV is this imbalance of, of bacterial overgrowth of, of the wrong sort of bacteria. Thrush is completely different. So it's an overgrowth of yeast, which is different. So one's bacteria, one's yeast, and they cause quite different symptoms. But, you know, when you're a person with a load of vaginal discharge, you can get muddled up as to what symptoms what, and it can be a bit confusing. But yeah, they're separate entities for sure. And so thrush, you know, classically, it's that itchy, burny feeling there might be some white, what do we say, cottage cheese-like discharge. Very good. <laughs> and usually it's not smelly, but, you know, there are patients who will come and say, it's gone green, and they panic. And yeah. sometimes that's just because there's lots of it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and there's a bit of inflammation there as well. So thrush does cause inflammation, so you might have a bit of inflammatory cells, which can look a little bit yellow as well. But it's typically quite different. So the typical BV and I always say you know it's this is when it's in a textbook and then you can get everything under the sun when you actually got a patient in front of you but with BV it's this kind of thin white they say homogenous so it's very sort of uniform white discharge thrush typically is this kind of curdy or cottage cheese as you said thicker white discharge associated with quite a lot of inflammation not for everyone and again we're all different our immune systems are different we react in different ways to overgrowths of, of yeast but yeah you can get quite painful and unpleasant swelling in the vulva and vagina. You can get cracks in the skin. It can be really uncomfortable and sore. And and it's not just females that get thrush, is it? No, any gender can get thrush. So it's anywhere where you've got a kind of warm, moist area. So in Which women, is most people's genitals. <laughs> most people's Male genitals. or female or anything so, in between. <laughs> so, so vaginas and vulvas often get candida or, or thrush. Um, under the foreskin of a penis is a common place as well. If you've got folds of warm, moist skin anywhere else on your body, you can end up with a bit of thrush. So, yeah, yeah and that's not, interesting not that because yeah. we often associate candida or thrush with just down there. But actually, thrush lives all over us, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's it's ubiquitous. It's, it's everywhere, really, in the environment. And it's just when it gets out of balance. So you either have an overgrowth or possibly in some people, it's more about the immune system and how it responds to even quite small amounts of, of thrush, but you end up getting the, the symptoms and the inflammation anyway. Let's let's talk a bit about those ladies that get recurrent thrush, because I reckon I see many of those. And it's really difficult. They're often buying, you know, the tablet fluconazole over the counter. They might be taking it more frequently than they perhaps could or should. They might be putting pessaries in and creams in and all sorts. What's What should they be doing? You know, when should they be saying, okay, I'm going to stop self-medicating and go and get some help from a doctor? Because there are different things we can do about it. It's not just what's given over the counter, is it? Yeah, look, it's it's true. And I think, first of all, it's a good idea just to come and get checked out in case it's not something altogether different. Because the number of people I've had come in saying I've got thrush and it turns out to be something completely different. So it's worth just coming in and getting examined and or getting tested just to see what what's causing your symptoms. I think it's worth taking a step back and looking sort of quite holistically at the person as well and the whole the whole body. So, you know, if there's other stuff going on, if their immune system's under a bit of pressure, which could be because of concurrent medical condition, it, then the immune system and their overall health is, is not going to be conducive to good vaginal health. So it's worth just taking a step back and, and looking at all of that, I think. 
yes, there's there's tablets. So the sort of over-the-counter options are fluconazole, the sort of antifungal tablet, and then you can use the creams and pessaries down below. Make sure you use them for long enough so you've actually sort of cleared up the infection. Boric acid is one of the sort of second-line treatments. There are a few things like that you, that you can talk about. Sometimes they need to be compounded in pharmacies. There are options for, for treatment if you're really not winning with the, with the standard treatment. Mm. Sometimes you need a really long course of uh, antifungal, for example, just to get on top of things. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you know, what's the difference then between STIs and just non-STI vaginal infections? You know, is there a rule of thumb? I mean, there isn't. I'm going to say there isn't. There isn't a rule of thumb. <laughs> you know, it's not a case of, oh, if it doesn't smell like fish, then it's an STI. It, it's not like that, is it? You know, there's overlap. And, and as you said just now, even with thrush, it can be super hard for a person who's experiencing symptoms to tell the difference between what could be an STI and what couldn't. Yeah, look, it, it is. And I think... um you know, when someone comes in to see me in clinic, I'll ask them what their symptoms are. And you often can have a bit of a, an idea or a, a guess as to what might be causing their symptoms. But we're not always right. And it's and, it, and basically, you know, you need to just get tested. So, you know, STIs are something where you've, you've caught an infection from another person. And that's why it gets classed as a sexually transmissible infection. And then the non-STI causes have not been caused by you getting infection from, from another person. Both STIs and non-STIs can cause inflammation or symptoms in the vagina, the cervix, the urethra. And so the symptoms can really overlap. And I think the thing is, you know, women can feel a lot of shame when things aren't right down there. You know, if the odour changes, if the discharge changes, there's really nothing to feel ashamed about, is there? No, there really isn't. Like our, our vaginas have evolved over the years. I was reading something recently where they were saying that... Uh, Vaginas and humans are unlike vaginas and any other animal. I can't verify that. But one of the reasons for that, this person was suggesting, is that um, not only are the vaginas used for reproduction, but also we've evolved to use them for sexual pleasure. So they're just something that's evolved to be the good thing to use for those ones. And it looks after itself. I don't know why we find it hard to talk about vaginas, why we're embarrassed to talk about vaginas, but we're not embarrassed to talk about, I don't know, our mouths or other parts of our body. But we are and we shouldn't be and certainly shouldn't be ashamed. If you've got some symptoms down there, just go and see someone and find out what's causing it and get it sorted out. Thanks so much, Roz. I, I think you've given some sterling advice there uh, and hopefully, you know, women will take this advice and, and go and see their GP or their sexual health physician if there's a problem, uh, but also reminding themselves that, you know, things go up and down, they fluctuate a bit in the vagina and that's okay. Sometimes it will just right itself if you look after it well enough. So there you have it. The vagina is an incredible organ that can handle a lot just on its own. But it can be easy to disturb the balance. That doesn't always mean it's an STI, though. Consult your GP if you think something is not quite right down there. And maybe reconsider your use of feminine hygiene wash. Be sure to tune in next week where more health myths and questions are answered. This podcast is a listener production hosted by me, Sneh Wadwani. Producer is Kelsey Menzies. Executive producer is Todd Stevens with sound design by Kelly Falston. Listener.